Hey, and welcome to another episode of the Who Dat Jedi podcast. This is episode 137, and the date is Thursday, November 17th, and happy Life Day, everybody. Woo! Happy Life Day. I mean, the... The day, Happy lumpy in, day. the day in history where Star Wars fans got to first see Boba Fett, they got to see Lumpy, they got to um, see B. Arthur in Star Wars and Jefferson Starship, was it at the time, or was it Jefferson Airplane still? I think it was Jefferson Starship. Yeah. Um, but the, the Star Wars holiday special, but today is Life Day, so yeah. So okay, yeah. so I, I it's 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 interesting. <laughs> I have I do have a memory of this show being on TV when I was a kid, and when it was because I remember seeing the I remember seeing the I was down in my basement. I remember seeing the uh, the basically there were the deleted scenes from from A New Hope of Darth Vader and the. Um, um, you know, like Imperial officer walking down the hallway. You know, I, I remember that stuff. I remember some of the Wookiee stuff. Um, so yeah, I, I do remember a little bit of it. And we, Dave, you and I actually, we, no, we we watched the Ewoks. We need to find a good copy of the, um, holiday I'm special. Telling you guys, that'll be a commentary track. Whenever we ever go behind a paywall or do a Patreon, I think like our commentary on the, holiday special needs to be the first episode so we should make it a competition whoever it's like whoever has to take a drink first like loses you know so you could tie tie drinking into specific things such as b arthur appearance because folks it is pretty awful i mean it really is pretty awful um but you can see the boba fett cartoon on disney plus um so if you want to see the first uh rendition of that speaking of cartoons right quick did either one of you see the little studio ghibli send grogu thing that they dropped for yeah uh, the anniversary of uh, uh mandalorian yeah i did did you, I, I did watch it you yeah yeah i mean it's a quick watch it's only like four or five minutes and it's all music and you know animation it's no words so it, it's very cute it's very zen very much zen yeah i mean it it yeah, it, I, I don't know what I was expecting, but I mean, it, it looks like a very, very good, you know, like, you know, college digital art project, you know, type of a thing. It's like somebody just it, it's 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 cool. Um, but uh, I don't know. Maybe what a I was proof expecting. of concept kind of uh, experiment. For them. The thing I did not like is that um, I did not like how they have like Grogu's ears get like floppy like Brit said said he looks too much like a bunny rabbit so (laughs) that was bothersome so um which okay so as I just trash on something I gotta I gotta share something with you this is kind of interesting um since we last recorded um the well-read podcast which is Trey Crowder and Corey Ryan Forrester who's the you know there and uh um uh, and drew morgan they're three they're the redneck comedian red redneck liberals you know um they were actually on their their podcast they were talking about nerd rage and this is an interesting this might be something that we talk about just as a as as another topic sometime just for another show um because tonight we're going to be talking about cassian um but 
they said it seems like because Trey Crowder was watching the um, Lord of the Lord of the Rings um, thing on what the what is what's it called the new Lord of the Rings the TV show yeah the TV show oh, the rings of, yeah the rings of power, rings of power. he was watching it and he was like yeah this, this is all right and then he said you get on Twitter and it's like you know it. It seemed he says it seems to be that in order to be a fan, you have to come at things from a spot of negativity. That you have to. This, I mean, this was his perception of all these Lord of the Rings quote unquote fans, who just automatically start dumping on the um, on the show, and you know it's kind of like and and I thought that was very interesting because I think there's some truth to that. That it's like, you know, like I said, quote unquote fans, the loud fans, the very first thing that comes out of the mouth is something hypercritical. I think it's okay to be critical, but not, you don't have to dump on it unless it's garbage like B. Arthur, you know, in a, <laughs> you know, holiday special. But, um, Lumpy. but I, I do find it interesting. It's like, and I, you know, um, I don't know if it's just about clicks or what but um i don't know what do you guys what do you guys think about that just that stance he said it seems like like i said that you have to come at it from a source first from a source of negativity before you can be positive about something it's it's uh it is driven by clicks and uh formulas first and foremost because you generate the most uh interaction that way and thusly your uh the formula you know, rewards you, your content gets pressed in front of more eyeballs and it's self-fulfilling. Um, but the problem is like, from my perspective is that it makes it too easy for people to just sort of agree and then they just go along with it. And then, and now you're actually beginning to shape public opinion a little bit by being overly negative. And, um, and so like it, it isn't, it, it's an issue. It's not something that, I enjoy seeing at all. We try to be pretty positive here and yeah. and our and our devoted listeners have rewarded us, you know, with our with our weekly uh our audience of 30 people or whatever, but um we love you guys. But you know, and we appreciate you. Um but we we try to be positive and that's and there's there's your result. But I think again, I think you can be you can be positive but still honest because there are some podcasts i listen to that it just has it's just like you know there there is nothing wrong in anything that they watch or you know it's like mm -hmm. it's like well no not really and I, I mean maybe it's from being a teacher you know i found a good way of telling kids you know you know dave nice job that was you put a lot of effort into that and you, you did this nice and you did this nice but then this part really kind of stunk now let's make that part not stink anymore you know it's like i, th I think you can approach but I, th I think people they don't uh, i don't know anyway i just thought i thought it was really interesting oh. listen listen to the well-read podcast if if you're so inclined but it's really it's about at the 30 minute mark of that episode and the episode's called nerd rage so um yeah. and i think i think the difficulty is and this is part of the problem with canon because a lot of the quote unquote nerd rage that you're hearing was coming from a lot of longtime Tolkien content creators and super fans, people who will create YouTube channels to go into the lore. And this is where being so wedded and in love with canon 
can come back and actually be a neg negative because you come to want to expect that and any deviation is seen as wrong and improper and uh, like you're bastardizing the work instead of recognizing that there is no such thing as a perfect adaptation. You're not making a, you know, you don't transition something from the written page to the film screen 100%. No work has. It's impossible. Uh, I think the closest that actually did it was, <laughs> weirdly enough, Zack Snyder doing Watchmen a decade or so ago, and that bombed. And even he didn't do it 100%. So there's some of that in there. And there's always, so, there's always the natural, in some ways, or not even that natural, but just the mandated expectation that if you're going to make this adaptation, you got to make it the way I saw it, the way I think it should be done, the way I viewed it in my head. And eventually, it's it's kind of like when you see a trailer for one of the Star Wars movies. When you see a trailer, all possibilities are, are available. Once you actually see the movie, the movie's the movie. What it is, good, bad, and different, it just is. So I think and so a lot of times, wedding, you know, it's, you, you know the best example, Aaron? It's the Hangover is the funniest movie uh, right. in Scottyshack. It's once that expectation is built in your head, anything that doesn't meet, it feels like a disappointment. A disappointment leads to anger, this, which leads to suffering. This this is well done. This is a, another subject for another episode sometime. So let's put this on the docket. But I will say this, that I do think that um, just because somebody doesn't like something doesn't mean that they're being negative either. It's like, mm -hmm. right. I didn't like it. You know, it's like, yeah. you know, I, I saw the, uh, we're not going to talk about, get into this, but, uh, you know, seeing the second Black, Black Panther movie, liked it, don't like it as much as the first one. Doesn't mean that's bad, you know, and it's just, you know, and, to, but however, on the flip side, you know, for Brittany, it was, she liked the second one a lot more than the, the first one. That's cool, you know, but, you know, so, but I, yeah, I, it, I just thought it was kind of interesting. Um Dave, close us out on this topic, and then we'll do some trivia. I'll just say, too, that I've, I have had, if I've had any sort of negative reaction to Andor, the series, it's been the online discussion around the show. And for a myriad of reasons, and it's like, again, some of what we're talking about, um, a lot of, I'm going to put down other Star Wars properties in in in, in as I'm discussing this um, to show you how intellectual I am, um, it just, you know, it kind of runs the gamut. And again, everybody's free to have their own opinions. And I think that's great, you know, but uh, the discussions get a little heavy handed. Like I'm right. You're wrong. And yeah. I'm like, we're not in the political arena. We're, we're not watching a sporting contest. Uh, here, Star you Wars know? TV show. Yeah. <laughs> well, and just to kind of close this off, I'll just simply add that, you know, one of the things that I've learned is that everybody gets wedded to their initial reaction. And that's not necessarily the best thing. You, you sometimes have to give yourself permission to change your mind. You know, like, like, I love Guardians of the Galaxy 1 better than 2, first viewing. And it took me a while to kind of go back and rewatch Guardians 2 and then recognize what James Gunn was doing, and I came to appreciate it for itself. That's fine. I mean, opinions will change. Your taste will change. You will learn and grow. And, you know, sometimes you're right. First viewing, you know if you love it or if you don't. And sometimes that shifts. And I think a lot of times the discourse, what it does, is that it locks people into a position that they then find impossible to stick to 
because it's impossible to stick to any one position for forever. So anyway, we can talk about it another time. Yeah. All right. Well, sorry to take us down that rabbit hole. Uh, like I said, tonight we're going to be talking about Andor, the last uh, two episodes. Uh, we're not going to be giving you a plot synopsis. We're going to hit some high points and got some bullet points of just things that have been going on these last couple episodes that wondering what's going on. Just so, yeah, it's uh man, if you're not watching Andor, you need to watch Andor really really good still we're now 11 episodes in and it's still i get to the end i've said this every episode of this podcast so i get to the end of the andor episode and i go oh I, I just want i just want more and it's so interesting because it is nothing like any other star wars so anyway um trivia um fredo to you who growls you won the small toss outlander, but you will not win the race. That's well done, sir. I thought so. <laughs> well, well done. Yeah. So uh, I'm going to say Senior Watto. <laughs> it, it was almost a little Scottish. It almost came out Scottish, but <laughs> you will not win the race. No, but yes, it is Watto. If it's not, if it's not Scottish, it's crap. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um Oh, Dave, we got a rule that it's the first one I look at. Yeah. Okay. Oh, man. This, this is kind of, oh, sorry about this. Who Bring makes, uh, and there's no, there's no impression here. Uh, who makes the tactical blunder of dismissing Darth Vader's powers as sorcerer's ways? Is it uh Imperial officer number yeah, yeah, two. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. Uh, the guy at the table, the one of the guys in the uniform, uh, was it Admiral Mahdi? Oh, man, you are good. It is Admiral Mahdi. Ah, yes. Way to go. Who else is at that table that we've seen recently? Ooh. One of the dudes got recast. I saw somebody, like, they made a meme over that, and they well, were like, they recast this guy instead of making a you know, like a claymation version of him. Right. Know? I mean, what he would be like 180 <laughs> years old. Yeah, Yalaren. Um. So anyway. Yeah. Um. All right. To me, what member of the Jedi Council does Anakin go to when he discovers Palpatine is a Sith Lord? That would be Mace Windu. All right. So, um, Dave, have you watched Tales of the Jedi yet? Oh man, I got a. I have a confession to make. I, I I sat down to watch it and only got through about two and a half episodes, and it didn't really grab me. I mean, I'm gonna eventually get through it, right. but it just we got a lot going on on over here. This is this is crazy town over here. So. I saw, I will say it gets better after um, the uh, the first two episodes. I will say that. Okay. Um, but uh, okay, cool. Just wanted to double check. All right. Well, uh, Fredo, we got some. We got some news. Yeah, a few little bits of news uh, from the last couple of weeks. We'll just go kind of right quick. First one is that Star Wars, uh, Lucasfilm, sorry, officially announced that production of The Acolyte has begun. And they have a full cast photo announcing uh, that, you know, the entire cast. So we knew about Amanda Sternberg. Uh, but joining her are Lee Jung-Jae, Manny Jacinto. Daphne Keene, Jody Turner-Smith, who we knew from before, uh, Rebecca Henderson, Charlie Barnett, Dean Charles Chapman, and one Miss Carrie Ann Moss. So Trinity herself is going to be in the show. Now, when is it going to come out? 
we'll see. Production just began. Well, it's going to be interesting. This is going to be the first Star Wars that we like know have no sort of reference material going into it. Yep. Yeah, because it's not even because it's set there in the end of the High Republic, but mm-hmm. I do not think even the books are in that period of time. Like, like the books are during the High Republic, but I think this is taking place like decades afterward, maybe. So, it's going to be an interesting thing because we're going to see a different side of the Star Wars galaxy, different elements, different dynamics, and I, for one, am excited for it. Yeah, I agree. The the cast, I, I was a little let down because I clicked on the link to look at the cast photo that you mentioned and it's just like a graphic with their headshots on it <laughs> i was like i was hoping to see them on set or something um but it's a really diverse cast um if you're looking for a little more diversity in your star wars we're continuing down that path this podcast this. is not for you ron DeSantis. <laughs> exactly <laughs> it is not <laughs> um but uh yeah no it looks like a really interesting group of characters and uh and like you said, it's a blank slate. They can do whatever the frick they want. Ooh, so. we almost McClunkied you. Okay, yeah. wow. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, I mean, we got like Legion Jays, the star of Squid Game. Well, I think he just won an Emmy. Mm. Uh, Daphne Keene, she's been in. She was X twenty three in Wolver in Logan, and she's been the star of the his Dark Materials adaptation. So they got a lot of, you know, you know, well known actors, a lot of uh, newcomers kind of thing. So. We'll see. It's going to be interesting what roles they have in playing and kind of what, what the story's going to be. They've you, been working you, on the scripts for a while. You know Trinity will bring that gravitas to the to the situation, too. She's awesome. She's awesome in everything she does. Like, if you've never seen yeah. her in uh, in Jessica Jones, she nails that part. Mm-hmm. So, moving right along, we'll get a couple of bits of Andor news before we get to talking about Andor. So, for one, uh, Tony Gilroy was been talking, I believe, with Collider. Actually, no, I'm sorry. sorry. They were talking about, you know, what the show's going to be. And then uh, they mentioned that Stellan Skarsgård said that production of Season 2 will start later this year. So, uh, let's see. Uh, so, basically, Tony, they asked Tony Gilroy when exactly it's going to start. And they say production is going to start filming, uh, if I can find it. Uh, the Monday before Thanksgiving, so November 21st. So Next week. This coming Monday, this coming Monday, season two of, of uh, Andor will start production. Now, that doesn't mean we'll get it next year. More than likely, they still admit it'll more likely be 2024 for us to get season two of Andor, which will get us to Rogue One. So, in between time, there are award shows. Do you think that um, we might actually get some and these will be emmy awards but do you think that andor will get something beyond just uh special effects this is some this is some darn good writing and some darn good acting it very much is um and i'm hopeful uh it it feels like there's an asterisk at the at the end of every star wars property and it's like okay only eligible for technical awards right and um and I think in this case, like they have a really legitimate argument to uh, to win in some of those other categories, and uh, it would be well deserved. We've talked about this show, and we've just gushed over it because it's just like it's not just a good Star Wars show; it's a good show. Um, it's just really, really good, um, and it, it's it, you know it's in the same universe as 
those other prestige shows that you might see on HBO Max or elsewhere. Um, and um, yeah, I'd love to see that. Uh, I love that they're filming already. I really wish that it wasn't just two seasons. <laughs> um, yeah. There was originally speculation that it wouldn't be. I think originally they thought it would be more. Um, but Gilroy, I think, came out and said, like, we cannot shoot like this indefinitely because it's so grueling. Um, so they limited it to two. But uh, hopefully they'll be able to tell the story that they want to. Yeah, so far they've been able to. And I think, I mean, and sometimes you have to kind of admit that just because, you know, that it's a grueling process. I mean, we get 12 weeks of uh, with the show, whereas they're living with it day in and day out for three, four, five years. And it's perfectly fine. I mean, these are not people who are in the Star Wars business, so to say, like somebody like Dave Filoni, who lives, breathes, sleeps Star Wars. They're, they're creative, uh, creative types who want to go on and do their own thing. And at some point they want to come off of this and do something else so if we only get two seasons but they're amazing seasons i will be happy and i think that that only kind of be a feather in the cap of star wars and i do think we will get some at least some writing nominations and i could see a couple of acting nominations the two of the guys we're going to talk about in in uh tonight's uh show just regarding episodes 10 and 11. so speaking of episodes the last bit of news is uh disney is gonna make the first two episodes of andor so casa and that would be me available to people who don't have disney plus next wednesday so next wednesday is the season one finale and if for some reason you don't have disney plus have no idea where people have gone from being quiet about andor to raving about it you'll get to catch the first two episodes on abc fx hulu and freeform uh next wednesday so I do find it interesting that they're putting it at different times. Like ABC will get them during prime time. FX will get them on Thanksgiving Day during prime time. Uh, Freeform will get them on Black Friday. And then Hulu will get them for the entire week after. So uh, Wednesday through, actually, Wednesday through the following week. Uh, but what I find interesting is they're only giving you the first two episodes. They're not giving you that third episode, <laughs> which is where all the action happens. And giving you giving you the first taste for free right um you know that was that was my thing you know Britt and i were talking about it's really interesting that they're doing this um because you know we talked about it in previous episodes that this is arguably the best star wars tv and it's the lowest rated lowest you know um and so they're trying i, I think there were some people who maybe it just fell off their radar or it wasn't pew pew, you know, looking when they saw the episodes or whatever, or saw the previews and, or they're just, or maybe they're trying to cast a wider net people who haven't subscribed to Disney plus or what, I don't know, but Hey, this is what it is. I think I, I circled back to what Fredo was, was just alluding to, which is like the decision to, just released the first two episodes i understand giving them a taste giving them a preview that's i think that's really smart uh i think like trying to gain more of an audience is really smart the the constant critique that i hear of this show from everybody who it doesn't quite click with is that it's slow to get going and that the first couple of episodes lost them slower and and so, like, for them to center in on those two rather than maybe the third episode as just a one-off 
or maybe episode five and six. Um, you know, something that just shows this snapshot of um, of them the attack on the facility. Um, something a little more actiony. I, I think like it might have been a smarter direction to go with this, but. I mean, they, they make the big bucks. They know what they're doing. More than well, here's the other thing is that they might be looking at ways of trying to get more people to get that super package that gives you Hulu, Disney Plus, and ESPN or whatever it is. You know, they're, I mean, so they probably, they. I mean, they have the data. It's like we've got all these Hulu subscribers who haven't subscribed to Disney Plus. Maybe they would like, you know, because they're watching whatever science fiction thing over here on Hulu, maybe we can get them over here to Disney plus because of all of our cool star Wars stuff. I don't know. Um, I mean, it's there. I mean, it's just, yeah, there's I'm some, just gonna say it's, I was just going to say, it's surprising that they didn't include that. If nothing else, episode three, because that would have been the entire first arc of Andor complete. It goes from meeting Andor to him and Luthen leaving Ferrex. You know, after the big battle in Ferrix that, that happened. So I am only surprised that they're doing the setup and not the payoff. Because if you want to convince people that this is a show that you want to watch, you give them that slow burn. Those two episodes are by, are the slowest and the most slow burning of the entire series so far. Yeah. You know, and you because you don't know who these characters are. You don't know where you're going. You know what their motivations are. So the idea of at least not giving them one payoff so that when you see that final shot of of Cassian and Luthen going into hyperspace and I go, would you like to know more to take the line from Starship Troopers? So if you want to see more, what's next? Subscribe to Disney Plus. But, you know, like like Dave said, they, they know what they're doing. So. so, Andor, episodes 10 and 11, most obviously the most recent. Uh, we're, like I said, we're not going to do a play-by-play here. Um, episode 10, we broke out of prison, um, and, one uh, way out, uh, one, one way out. And again, it was a little, it was a little Les Miserables type, you know, it seemed a little, but, uh, <laughs> uh, but it was, like I said, super good. Um, and so, like I said, that whole thing was about all the, the prisoners getting together and it was the first actual, well, I guess. You know, the thing on um, Alani was the first kind of act of rebellion, but this was, you know, even bigger. Um, and we'll, we'll get into all the kind of cool things that happened in there. Um, but you see Cassian's leadership style um, kicking in here. And, and again, that's something I've got on a bullet point here I want to talk about a little bit later. Um, so like I said, episode 10 is all about breaking out of prison and episode 11 is, um, well, I suppose it, we're, we we come back to Ferrix. Um, we there basically we're setting up everybody to be in the same place, um, for the final episode next week, because you've got, um, um, what's his butt? Cyril has figured out where that Cassian's going to be probably back on Ferrix because Cassian's mom is, well, okay, spoiler alert, but you're listening to a Star Wars podcast, so get over it. Um, but anyway, uh, Cassian's mom dies. Um, and so that's, they think Cassian's probably going to come back to Ferrix, which probably will. Um, so Cyril's on his way there. Um, 
you know, Dedra Miro is wanting, you know, a funeral so they can bring Cassian to, everybody's trying to get Cassian to Ferrix. So, um, but, uh, man, I, again, guys, this is just going to, I think we're the, these two episodes we're going to be talking about them kind of in one big blob, I think, because of all the things that are going on. Um, but the first thing I want to talk about, like I said, it's kind of a higher thing. And I was asking Brittany about this as be, like before came in to record, because this is what I've been seeing a lot of people talk about this. What, there's a lot of symbolism and discussion about water in this series, whether it is a prison on water, whether it is, you know, Cassian getting soaked, you know, trying to bust a water pipe, you know, um, there's tons of references to fish, you know, whether it's dead Ramiro saying, are you a fish or are you, you know, um, or are you a thief? Are you, you know, the fishermen who catch Cassian and, um, um, Melshi, but like I said, lots of references to water and water symbolism in this show. What do you think we're getting at here? I think it's kind of, might be kind of obvious, but I just thought it'd be kind of fun to talk about. Okay, so I think it's interesting that because think about it, you know, we mentioned in the last podcast that we haven't seen any aliens really so far in this season, this series, and we finally got our first set of aliens. And they're Narkina 5 locals. And what is their big gripe? The way that the Empire has spoiled their water, taken their water, spoiled their water, taken their resources. And it's interesting that connecting on that element with Cassian is what allows Cassian and Melchior to, to get, a, get a ride out of town, so to speak. So I think there's an element regarding, you know, there's a dynamic there because you know, when you start thinking about episode ten, they're they're living in a war in a prison that's under the water or you know, built within the ocean structure, where the only way that you know how does it that uh, we finally figured out what Cassian was sawing off, he was sawing off the water line so he could flood the, the short out mm-hmm. the, the the floor that they couldn't shock them, which the the moment Kino just yells attack and everybody just goes yes let's go, so. uh I think it's an interesting dynamic because what we're seeing, and consider that in this episode is water, for the folks, for the locals in Aldani, it was all about the eye. It was all about how they've been taken away from their valley and the but empire. That was, was still a dam. Down. That was still a dam as well. So huh. water still and involved. The, what, and the thing is, the, what's the empire? What's the empire? Uh, the the guy in charge in Aldani says, oh, this is the last time we're going to let them up. We're going to flood this valley next year. Because, again, this is the Empire's mindset. They take the natural resources that the people have vested value and respect, and they're part of. They're part. It's part of their culture. The Empire says, nope, we're just going to take it because we need it, and you have no power to stop us. So, And in every instance, it's Cassian in the middle overturning all that and, you know, working to defend that. So, it's. It, it, I'm not necessarily saying that uh, you know Cassian would be an eco terrorist or be perceived in those elements, but there's a clear connection about the state of how the Empire is disconnected from nature, and Cassianism, and that's what keeps saving his bacon. This is a really fifth element uh, kind of uh, <laughs> thematic Very vibe super, here, you know, because super you've green, got, super yeah, green, super green, super green. Uh, because you've got you know you just talked about the, with the with the 
the light show up in the in the air you know with the wind and then you've got the water elements you've got the fire and earth elements on uh, on Cassian's home planet um it just um yeah i mean it's like you said it, it's a touchstone for his character and, it, and, it, and it's really in keeping with the traditional values of star wars it's like when you become detached from the earth you lose some of your humanity and i think like that was a like clear lesson um as early as the first star wars film but really hammered home in return of the jedi where you know you you lose to the tiny little bear critters you know who are living off the land and it's like well yeah duh i know the, the i know the vietnam references there but um but yeah, I like as a kid, I didn't know about the Vietnam references. What I understood was, oh, uh, a giant boulder can beat a gun, you know. Um, and there's something very um, simple or primal about all of that 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 I think people can relate to or gravitate towards. I think also, I mean, like I said, to me the uh, the the thing that stood out it's it's almost uh, you know a baptismal reference you know where he's uh, for for the for all the the people who are becoming rebels you know it's like um that this it's it's giving people a new sense of purpose a new life you know things like that i mean but however the thing is as i've been thinking about this it's even more interesting and we'll have to keep tabs on it it's like the first episode we see cassian soaking wet right and he makes an important life choice and he he kills those security yeah. guards he he becomes soaking wet in the prison right before they all take the prison over and escape and in rogue one he's soaking wet when he makes the decision not to pull the trigger on galen urso so it's like there's i i, I it seems to me and again maybe reading too far into it but it just seems very coincidental that every time cassian is soaking wet that he is making some important life choice at that moment and the this is a lot of what the series is about, right? I mean, again, Gilroy is out here like making all kinds of crazy statements about our society. I shouldn't say crazy; he's making uh, hard statements about our society. You know, hard truths that we have to self-examine. Um, but you know, on a person-to-person level, this is about Cassian and about his growth and and him understanding. Um, more about the world around him and, and how he interacts with it. And um, like you said, these are a series of pivotal moments in his development. And like you said, the, the symbolism of the baptism, yeah, maybe it's that. Um, water can mean so many things. It's malleable. I mean, it, like, look at the nature of yeah. what it is. Um, it, it, can mean, it can mean almost anything. Um, and there's like a 500 different examples of that here in this series so far. So let's, let's mush together because we talked about, we've talked to, you know, a little bit about Cassian, you know, changing. Let's talk about, and I've got two bullet points here, you know, about, you know, 
Kino Loy's uh, leadership and Cassian's leadership. And actually, this whole series is about there's 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 a lot of things being said about leadership, whether it is from Saul, Saul, Saul or the or the ISB or Luthen or Cassian. I want and, so, and Mon Mothma. Um, the thing I found really interesting is how Cassian works because there is a book that um, when I was an instructional coach, um, I read it's by uh, Jim Collins it's called good to great. And it's it, he actually set out to write this book um, about looking at really top performing companies and what made them go from, you know, good to great. And it, it became this whole book on leadership. And the thing that's so interesting, it stuck out to me because one of the chapters in that book is um, about the bus and knowing people's place on the bus. And I know that sounds bad, but roll with me here for a second. You know, um, is that he, you know, and so Cassian realizes he can't tell everybody in the prison that it's time to break out and to rebel against the empire he realizes that Kino is going to be better in that role. And so, or it's like, and earlier uh, there was one of a, he had some idea, this is before they started, this is a couple episodes ago, but he had some idea that he gave another person on the table credit for, you know? So, but he realizes that other people will, be more effective than he will. And I think he does the same thing with Jin. Um, you know, I think he, so we, we see that with him. Um, so I don't know what, what, what have you thought about Cassian growing as a, a leader in all of this? And before yeah, you say that, there's one other really cool thing. I don't know if you noticed, um, remember back when, um, right before Aldani and, um, what's his name? The, the guy that ended up dying um, in the ship. What was his name? Oh, the, the, with the, the manifesto. Kid. Anyway, he, he said he couldn't sleep. And Cassian said, I slept like a baby, you know, mm. because he didn't care. The night before they broke out of the prison, what we, we see Cassian laying there with his eyes wide open. Obviously hadn't slept. So anyway, um, so what do you think about his transformation as I don't really give a honk to... A leader i think what's interesting is it, we're gonna find out that it's that's what luthan saw in Cassian, that leadership style because he's not he's leading by not leading he's leading by guiding other people to take the reins and grab the mic or you know do the thing that they need to do he's not telling them to do stuff he's not bossing them he says look i'm doing this if you want to do what you want to do that's fine but he's slowly guiding them towards what needs to be done and yeah, it's yeah, very much the same way. While Jin is dealing with the Rebel Alliance interfighting, he's quietly going about convincing friends and uh, fellow rebels to come join him in what he knows is going to be the mission that they're going to take the Scarab. So it's interesting because he was exhibiting much the same behavior in the first two episodes on Ferrix, where, you know, he'd go and talk to Bix, he'd go and talk to his other friends, They'd be like, oh, geez, you know, Cassian, really? And then they would do what he needed them to do or what was necessary. Um, he's now just finally using it for more than just himself, though. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And I think that's what's interesting. He's beginning to, you know, he may not be really connecting that he can do that, but he's doing it more like in that moment in uh, in episode 10 where he's telling Kino, no, we need you to ramp this up. Come on. You know, they're not going to listen to me, but they're going to listen to you. I think that's putting it plain out for everybody to see. That's how Cassian leads. There's a smaller example, too, in the most recent episode when uh, he defers to Melshi when they're talking about trying to steal the quad jumper from the fisherman and he he's like no we need to be careful we need to be careful here and mel she's like we've got this they can't catch us um we'll be in, we'll be gone before they can catch up and he's like okay fine uh he went along with it um again i think he's really comfortable in this role of deferring to others and, and letting them take the um the reins well, so and- to speak and recognizing strength in mm-hmm. what people have to offer. And that's what that chapter in the Jim Collins book was, you know, knowing where each person's, you know, where they're going to do the most good. You know, it's like who's going to be able to drive the bus versus who's going to be best to, you know, pop open the emergency exit if we need to versus who's going to be, you know. Yeah, and, yeah. And and he does that with Mel she, uh earlier when they're on the cliffs. Um, and he tells Melshi exactly what he needed to hear mm-hmm. on the cliffs because it wasn't like, no, come on, we can do this or whatever. It, he didn't need some rah rah moment. He he just told him, I can hear you. Yeah. Um, like my my hands are given out. I don't think I can climb, and you know I I can hear you because I know that that's what you need right now. And like understanding those human cues and how and how to get to people. And, and, and get them to the point that they need to get to themselves. And like, again, like there, there's more than one kind of leadership. It's like you said, there's identifying uh, what um, people are good at, but also identifying what people um, kind of respond to. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. You bring up that book, Aaron, because I think, uh, Charles Barkley and Shaquille O'Neal mentioned it in one of their broadcasts. They were talking about the Lakers. About oh, it's probably the, the most driver. boring thing on the planet. Then, oh my God, when the Pelicans are on no. TNT and it's Charles Barkley and Shaquille O'Neal and whoever the other two people, are, it's just like watching paint dry. And it's like you are two of the most dynamic people, just to speak off the cuff. But you put a like in this situation, they're boring as hell. Anyway, go ahead. Sorry. No, but the reason I bring it up is because they're talking about the Lakers and their dysfunction and Anthony Davis and, you know, how people expect them to be a leader. And that's not his personality. That's not who he is. And so well, they're talking about there's some people who drive the bus and people who just are riding shotguns and people who are riding at the back. And no, I was just going to say that's Cassian's kind of unheralded, un- unseen brilliance. It's, he's not, he's a leader without having to tell people that he's the leader. He's not the guy standing in front of everybody explaining the plan, saying what they're going to do. He just simply says, okay, how do we come up with this? And he lets everybody come in. And that's the type of leadership that rebellions need. So we, you know, the Saints saw it a couple weeks ago, you know, with Alvin Kamara. Alvin Kamara has been a leader through example by the way he plays, the way he prepares, and not necessarily the way that he handles himself in Las Vegas. But, um, you know, it's, uh, he, but, but then it came to a point where he apparently stepped up in a locker room and became a vocal leader. Much like, you know, that's what we saw with Kino. Kino has been a positional leader. He's been, you know, barking orders on the floor. 
and then you saw a shift in him where he became a philosophical leader and a people, you know, someone, he was the only one who could have rallied. They, they wouldn't have, maybe about five would have fallen, followed uh, Cassian. But mm-hmm. with, with Kino, you know, so I, I thought it was really interesting. What, how did you feel about Andy Serkis's performance here? Mr. Mocap, you know, Gollum, uh, Snoke. It, he, it was awesome. That's one of those Emmy nominations that might be coming. This Andy Serkis just home run right out of the park. Beautiful. Go ahead, Dave. Oh, I was just going to say, I'm angry. I'm angry that this incredible performer was limited to mocap for like the, you know, a large section of his career and everyone just like typecast him into that instead of like casting him into these incredible roles because like we've been deprived this this man's incredible acting ability it's it's phenomenal we talked about earlier award season yes andy deserves every possible award he could get um phenomenal uh as far as the character uh i think it's perfectly on point for what had previously been established for him uh he didn't he didn't want to act until he understood that there was no other real course for him to take. Um, and maybe it had to do with the sw- not being able to swim thing a little bit. Uh, like I may not be able to get out of here regardless. Um, Speaking of water. Yeah. yeah. Um, that was a huge, that was a huge uh, sequence there. Um, I think I would have figured out how to swim real quick or had somebody like, Hey dude, can you just pull me along here? Uh, anyway, <laughs> but you're right. The water thing kept coming up because like, you know, like that's how they sabotaged the, you know, the electricity deal. And then that's how they got, um, that was their path to escape. And, um, the, he's on the beach. That's where he got apprehended. And then he returned to the beach and that's where he had the conversation on the phone. Um, which if we want to change gears a little bit, um, that conversation was heart wrenching when he's trying to speak to his mother and say, uh, I want her to know that she would be proud of me. And in Rogue One, those are his last words. To Your Jen. father would be proud of me. Yeah. Like that's all he wanted to hear from her like in her last in her final days was like you would have been proud of me right because well, i think this is the second time like he he said that to her you would have been proud of me um the amount well, the first time he said it to her the second time he said it to his buddy i mean the the power of that it, it, it is i mean that's the one thing i said it's uh with with my dad and i there was no there was no gray area about how i felt about him how he felt about me he, you know, most recent birthday card I got from, you know, a month before he died, you know, was, you know, saying how proud he was of me. Um, so yeah, that's, that's, I mean, that's what I think every kid, you know, when they lose a parent, you know, the, it's can't, and yet what the things that were left unsaid, right. Mm -hmm. Um, also on that beach, Brittany brought up and Dave, you'd mentioned, Kate mentioned something in one of the last episodes, um, but uh, very similar shot to him looking across 
a beach, which is very similar to the last thing, you know, he ever does, you know, when the Death Star hits Scarif. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of callbacks, a lot of cool things. Um, let's talk about another leadership style. Let's talk about Luthen. We can talk about his leadership, but I want to talk about Luthen and more specifically, uh, first of all, I want to, again, best Star Wars writing ever, and I'm going to read it. It's when he's meeting with, we have an ISB mole that's been working with Luthen and they meet on a, um, in the depths of Coruscant and the ISB guy is trying to, it's, it's very mob like he's trying to jump out of the mob. He's trying to get out of the mob and Luthen saying, sorry, you, you're, you can't. And the guy says, you know, does my sacrifice mean nothing to you? Or, you know, what have you sacrificed? Is what he said. And here's here. This is just, and I'm probably not going to do any justice, but anyway, he said, what have you sacrificed? And Luthen says, calm, kindness, kinship, love. I've given up all chance at inner peace. I've made my mind a sunless space. I share my dreams with ghosts. I wake up every day to the equation I wrote 15 years ago from which there is one conclusion. I'm damned for what I do. My anger, my ego, my unwillingness to yield, my eagerness to fight. They've set me on a path from what, from where there is no escape. I yearn for a savior against injustice without contemplating the cost. And by the time I look down, there is no longer any ground beneath my feet. What is, what is my sacrifice? I'm condemned to use the tools of my enemy to defeat them. I burn my decency for someone else's future. I burn my life to make a sunrise that I know I'll never see. No, the ego that started this fight will never have a mirror or an audience or the light of gratitude. So what did I sacrifice? Everything. First of all, that's an awesome monologue. Luthen's Jedi. The guy who- Luthen is a former Jedi. I'll put $5 down on it right now. And here's a couple things. One, every, the things he's talking about in here, especially when he says he uses his uh, enemies tools to against them. Basically he talks about his anger, his ego, his unwillingness to yield. He's sacrificed. If he, if he was a Jedi, all those things, you know, anger, fear, aggression, the dark side, are they, you know, he's, he's using everything that he was told not to use for the greater you know for this greater good you have you have that he says um well he also talks about 15 years ago that was order 66 basically um you uh yeah okay so then there's other things where this most recent episode when he goes to see Saul Guerrera um they're really interested in this thing that really looks like a lightsaber it's his like walking stick or something and he gets really ticked off the more that they really inspect that. And so, but like I said, it looks really like a lightsaber. And then his ship has two freaking lightsabers on either end that slice TIE fighters. And he gives Cassian a kyber crystal in the first episode. Luthen is, and, and, and so then I, you know, I link this also to Rogue One where Cassian seems to really know a lot about the guardians of the wills. I, and so I wonder if Luthen's not a Jedi, he might be, you know, he was linked with them somehow. I don't know. What do you think? Is it too obvious? What we do know for sure is that Saw sees him as an equal. And uh, that says a lot in and of itself. 
um, because we know what kind of person Saw is. Saw has been established, well established as this, uh, you know, extremist, uh, reckless, um, very capable fighter, very dangerous sort of individual. And he looks at Luthen as being an equal and somebody that he can negotiate with and barter with and talk to on, on an even playing field. Um, that, that clues us in like straight away that Luthen is, um, not to be trifled with and, uh, and a very fierce adversary for the empire. Um, the maneuver that he pulls off with the tractor beam, I think that just reinforces all of that. Um, Oh, that's so good. Like, um, and, and again, I, people may not have caught this. I didn't catch it on first viewing. Um, he goads the Empire into increasing the tractor beam so that when he releases that shrapnel out the back of the ship, it'll puncture, it'll do that much more damage to yeah. the to the shield. And then, like, enable his escape and then like you know he cuts through those tie fighters with his laser beams um it was incredible it was a really really cool scene but again it shows you his character like he's going to use the empire's aggressiveness against them like they're going to think like we're just gonna overstep and we're gonna we're gonna really show them now we're gonna step on you now and then he uses that but he talks about in that monologue though he talks about that being a sacrifice that Mm -hmm. he's basically sold his soul to to you know to fight the empire um and by the way skarsgård i think over circus for a emmy nomination because i mean this whole series but anyway like i said it that's what he talks about that being a sacrifice that he's you know not not a smart move but he's like i said basically sold his soul well here's what okay so first things first let me give credit to bo williman who's the writer for that monologue in those episodes he was the guy who created house of cards so guys who come from a very political show background so no wonder he's nailing that the other thing that struck me about that speech when he gives it is he's 100 percent right we do not get his name after you know later on nobody mentions Luthen rail at all during the years that we see star wars or the rebellion or during the sequel trilogy he's just he's been forgotten to history so he's uh, that he is in a way i was thinking almost biblical he's doing the moses he's guiding his people yeah. to the promised land knowing he can never walk on the into the promised land so that's uh so it's some, almost something tragic about that nature, but he's resigned to it. As to whether or not he's a Jedi, I could see it. The other thing I could I was thinking of, he could be a Republic officer. Like one of those guys who was working alongside the Jedi for the for the Republic, like Yularen. Like he could be the inverse of Yularen. But rather than stick with the Republic then turn Empire, he went the other way. So it but because he I mean like there's a guy who knows subterfuge, there's a guy who can blend in. I mean, he's like Jason, the, the, the Jason Bourne of Star Wars. So how do we he can disappear? How did how did we t- feel about uh, two giant lightsabers on uh, either side of a ship? Uh, you know, they reminded me <laughs> of those, um, you know, the warships in Attack of the Clones that the clones are flying around, and they have like the laser beams that are like 
a long, elongated blast that comes out of the cannons. It's like, it's like, like it lasts like a second or two, the actual laser coming out. That's what it reminded me of. Um, more so than like an actual lightsaber. But um, yeah, that's just me. Well, and here's the thing. It's like he, uh, and this goes to the whole Jason Bourne subterfuge element that makes me think like he's like Republic agent of some kind or way back in the way because he is whole you know he's a whole craft that that's what his ship is it's a it's designed to hold stuff it's not supposed to be as fast have the weapons it has i mean he is dodging tie fighters he is firing you know shooting them out of the sky he's got tricks coming out of left right center i mean his ship is more is more boba fett ship than boba fett ship you know because that's that's what that moment reminded me of was the the sonic bomb that boba fett drops yeah I, uh, I, five dollars says he's a Jedi or a former Jedi. Um, so, um, the... but he's got he's got the Empire nailed, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, he knows they're going to come down harder. That's their nature, and like he's going to use that at every turn, and that's his whole end game. Even is that he wants them to come down harder on the galaxy. So that the galaxy will well, yeah, and rise that's against. that's when the, when they find you know he tips them off you know uh, the ISB guy tips uh, tips him off to you know the um, that they know about Anton Krieger and he's like well we're gonna have to go through with it and he's like but they'll be slaughtered and he's like it's fifty men you know yeah it sucks but the the long game we can't let the ISB know that something's up um, so yeah I mean talk about making the tough decisions. Um, so a couple, one other thing I had on a bullet here, and then we also need to talk about Mon Mothma a little bit because her situation is interesting. But uh, it's also interesting. This is just a quick little tidbit. The the Empire never learns because you know the the Tarkin doctrine was you know you know ruling by fear. Fear of this battle station will keep people in line. So that prison, the fear of being shocked, kept people in line. But when they realized they were, you know, when people have just like, you know, and, and again, I was listening to another podcast. It's a, a it was they were talking with John Meacham uh, and he said, you know, historian, he said that um, through history, the, the strong eventually get weak and the weak eventually become strong. And that really hit home with this with this episode when they're breaking out of the prison where it's just like they had enough and they knew that they had the numbers and off we go and so they don't they don't the empire never learns that you know that that doesn't work <laughs> so um but you know it's uh I, I just thought that was kind of interesting but um let's talk about mon mothma um because that's a whole other type of leadership um also somebody who feels like she's selling her soul a little bit um dealing with kind of a slime ball from chandrilla um she doesn't agree with the the chandrillan uh uh way of things and but her daughter is like totally hooked um and kind of a zealot towards it um i don't know what do we what, what was what was the name of uh uh, the actor, uh, 
I mean, that was the character that Michael J. Fox played in Family. Uh, Alex P. Keaton. Yeah, that's what that's what Mon's daughter strikes me as. He's like oh, yeah. Alex P. Keaton. Like, mom's <laughs> liberal and progressive, and she wants to be conservative and traditionalist, and you know, way to the elder. And she might be down to get wedded by age fourteen just to get out of from under mom. Yeah, right. Like she's just like so desperate to stick it to mom that she might actually go through with that and get herself married or like right away. Um, uh, yeah, that I mean that relationship is not good. Um, you really sort of feel for Mon not being able to just sort of level with her daughter about what's really going on because it could ultimately change her perspective on things she may not become a neo-fascist uh she may actually oh okay i didn't i never knew this about you mom that you actually um were this way and felt so strongly about things that you were willing to um fight for them and put put your money where your mouth is you know it's like one thing to stand up in front of a senate and drone on through some speech to a bunch of people who aren't listening and and try to maybe peel off a couple of extra votes it's quite another to engage in actual rebellion um yeah and her daughter might be the one that you know turns her in you know yeah and by the way by the way i want i want to remind everybody um, because i went actually went back and uh watched the star wars rebels episode of when they have to sneak mon mothma she's i mean she basically told the empire where to stick it and she was dubbed a traitor and was basically public enemy number one and the ghost crew has to sneak her out so um and so that happens like i said within season three of rebels um and so i think Andor is going to be leading to that moment, um, maybe in season two. Um, but, um, yeah, her, again, her sense of her leadership is the, the type of leadership that frustrates people. It's slow. It's playing the long game. You know, Luthen is playing the long game as well, but he's very aggressive. He's very ruthless. You know, like I said, she's again, playing the long game i don't know if it is a she thinks that the system could still work or if she realizes that by keeping the system going she can you know keep the ball rolling so to speak i i think her her aim is to change the system while causing the minimum amount of misery and damage to people the problem is she doesn't she hasn't quite come to realize that it's gonna take violence at this point to dethrone the emperor it's gonna take an actual well-funded armed military uh reaction in order to depose the empire and she's still she's still thinking okay there's gonna be a way there's gonna be a revelation there's gonna be a moment where people are gonna wake up and go yeah the empire sucks let's get rid of it and luthan and saur recognize this is you know even if that moment came to pass the empire is too powerful to let it happen you know they're like you know like if you look at the news out of iran young people are protesting in mass iran's arresting them and threatening to decapitate and behead fifteen thousand of them so 
sometimes to you know people can wake up from their stupor and want to overthrow their government but the government may be powerful and it may take violence and people getting hurt well and we we talked about leadership through a lot during this episode and the thing is it's going to take leadership at some point because you have everybody who is a rebel in this show cassian mon mothma luthan saw val whoever luthan's uh assistant is um i can't remember her name um you know everybody who is a has a different idea and not just a different idea but a far different idea of how to how this whole thing should go and getting all those people on the same page is going to be the struggle that still is a struggle in Rogue One. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of ground still to be covered with a lot of that. Um, you see these sorts of um, personality differences and, again, philosophical differences between people. And, and, and we've seen the human cost of this already too where uh we were talking about mothma's relationship with her family is garbage at this point um i like this little underrated moment we got in the most recent episode with the droid oh yes oh and everybody treating that droid with kindness and that droid grieving um and there's there's the cost in what you know what what they're dealing with here this conflict and they, they haven't gotten a full blown war yet but we're we're what? seeing a a war like cost um being inflicted on everyone freaking cassian got thrown in jail already you know i mean there's <laughs> there's this there's a lot there um what and the, the quieter moments are, are done so well that i i'm, I'm really impressed with that it's easy to see the writing and like like Luthen's speech, you know, and some of these things and these grander moments and these political discussions and be impressed. But it's also those character moments yeah. that are really, really impressive, too. You were going to say something. No, it was a dumb thing. I was just going to say, what if, you know, be, you know the, the little droid, uh, was it B2E Emo? Yeah. B2E Emo, yeah. Anyway, what, what if some of him gets uh, transfer him into what becomes K2SO because their, their voices sound very similar. Um, but yeah, you're right. The, I mean, they've, you know, we said it in the first episode, <laughs> star Wars does a really good job at making very, you know, just droids that you, you fall in love with and your heart goes out to this little machine. Um, so and uh we noticed holly uh she mentioned something about ai and that's that that would have to be a whole other episode you know holly who's on the show before and she um had a tweet about um ai and uh star wars fredo are you looking for that tweet yeah yeah it's, it just simply says that she it's a master study on ai ethics and of course she didn't want to spoil anything but she says some things can be programmed into a droid but does that mean that they should you know, what if someone specifically wants emotions in a droid? You know, who decides? You know, it's a wonderful thought of, uh, experiment, she says, because, I mean, yeah, I mean, we this is a new reaction that we got from a droid. I mean, R2-D2 was emoting throughout the saga. 
when he was sad, he, you know, you heard that sad oh. beep. Yeah. When he was afraid, he was giving you the afraid beeps. But this is different. This is grief. This is loss. And this is a different dynamic that we've ever gotten, I think. And because, it, you know, and look, they, they found it in a way to make it both adorable and heartbreaking, which is only makes makes the pain even worse. Uh, but just the idea of the, would you program emotions into something that's going to outlast you? Like B2 emo, you know, B2. B2 you know, so it's a... Uh, it's an interesting discussion because AI, AI ethics, it's coming. So um, Dave's alarm has gone off. And man, we've talked about a lot of stuff. So any anything that we need to throw out, um, yeah, just little tidbits that were kind of cool. I like the idea of, um, you know, the cremated remains becoming a brick that gets built into the structure yeah. of your town. Um, yeah, that's, that's kind of uh, cool. The the other thing I want to mention before we look it off, you know, uh, is our good buddy Cyril. Because mm. he's coming back in a big way for this finale. And I don't think anybody knows that he's coming back. And maybe most people don't want him to come back, but he's he's putting himself into the onto the uh, playing field and on Ferrix for next week. He he dies next week, right? You know, his the, I'm I'm gonna say that that car- <laughs> I am I'm not I'm invested in every other character in this show except for him because every time we come back to him i'm just kind of like okay can we okay good you uh, i i it's it, he, everyone else is growing i mean he's it's not. he's you know like cassian he's ahab and cassian is moby dick i get it yep but it, there hasn't been any you're right everybody's growing he's not there hasn't been any I don't feel any reason to go back and see what he's doing. I mean, when he like stalked Miro, that was like, maybe go, well, that's interesting. There's a, a twist in his character and that made me, but then we're back to, you know, mom, go away. I'm on the phone. You know, it's just like, ugh. and then stealing my, it, so anyway, I hope he dies do in the next think, episode. <laughs> do you think possibly that he's thinking, Hey, if I catch Cassian, not only do I get in good with the ISB, but I impressed the girl. Come on now. I scored a touchdown. You know, no, that, no. that mindset. Because it's, it's look, again, we've established that it's thinking is not straightforward. It's very twisted. And so we don't know how he's going to, what he's going to do. I find it interesting that mom was like, oh, okay, you can finally put all that to bed. Like, she's hovering over him here in his phone call with his uh, former sergeant. And uh, his attitude is, like, oh, okay, great. You know, we're, you know she's like, you're done with that. You can move forward with this life. And he clearly cannot. He cannot let Cassian go. I have to say a couple more things. The prison break, awesome. We probably somehow glossed over how awesome it was. Um, like, really well conceived. I like executed. how they're using the same blasters as the rebels in A New Hope. Yeah. That those were repurposed Imperial blasters. Anyway, keep going. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, we also saw cameos of uh, X-Wings. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know if those were X-Wing prototypes, um, but we saw some X-Wings in the most recent episode. The Fishermen, I want to circle back to them very briefly. They seemed really threatening at the outset. They catch them in their nets. They're, they're talking like the Empire you know, would pay a ransom for them, and then they turn out to be sympathetic and helpful. They're the polar opposite of that Zach Braff guy in the Obi-Wan series who like 
looks kind of you know gentle and kind at first and turns out to be just this awful empire bootlicker um so there's another little bit of rhyming there uh and i liked uh melshi's shirt design which sort of looked like the imperial symbol a little bit if you if you look at it you you look at his shirt and he's got this uh vacation shirt on and it looks like it's got the empire uh all over it what's interesting is that they separate we know they end up on the same team eventually but they separate so they can melshi wants to spread the word about everything so it'll be interesting to see how that those paths cross again Mm -hmm. i'm sure they will i mean i'm guessing that next week with everybody converging on marva's funeral trying to catch cassian he's somehow some way going to make it out of there with uh luthan if you know and Um, after a big old battle epic scene so uh and at that point he'll be committed to the cause so it'd be interesting to see how they bring him back around because i do think we'll see melshi again clearly um but it'd be interesting to see how stuff's going to shake out and who doesn't make it out i mean cinta's there and she's embedded at the bar or coffee shop uh miro's agents are there um now cyril's coming back everybody's going to be together seriously um we didn't have this much to talk about with uh book of boba fett or the mandalorian um and that's it's a testament to the writing and just i mean those those shows were great but i mean that this just seems like there was um this is just it's just at another level so um the 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 ambition is is higher um we've talked about um lone wolf and cub with uh, mandalorian which is a very worthwhile story to tell (laughs) but there's no real political story going on there beyond that um now we're going to get some of that palace intrigue i think soon but um it's mostly a story of a guy and his kid and them getting into adventures uh boba fett was like what do you take what happens when you take your action figures and you make them do this cool thing i'm gonna ride the the back of the rancor you know um you know so like that was that uh obi-wan was kind of like a love letter to prequel fans in my opinion um if you're not a big fan of the prequels to begin with i don't know if you get as much out of that um but again, bringing back those actors, I think, like, was the major selling point there. Uh, and then here, it's the 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 idea is not trade on nostalgia. Yeah, it's tell a new story and actually try to attack some of these institutions that we see in our world today, and and do so in a really thoughtful manner. And uh, and and again, it's ambition is high. And, and I always respect that a little bit more than when uh, you're not kind of, you know, aiming for center field with the swing. Um, the, these are home run swings, and uh, you know, it's mostly connecting. Well, all right. Well, um, with that um, programming note, we'll be off next week because it's Thanksgiving. So um, but, you know, we're all going to be going someplace for uh, – see family and stuff like that i hope you have a wonderful thanksgiving to everybody 
who listens to us and uh, the week at, and we'll, but we'll be watching the last episode of Andor and then we'll talk about it when we get back. Um, just remember, just remember turkeys cannot fly. That's right. As God is my witness. witness. I thought turkeys could fly. (laughs) WKRP is one of the best shows ever. Um, all right. Well with that, we will say who dat. Who dat. Have a great day, week and happy Thanksgiving. My